podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the show on Wednesday, the 16th of November. Just to correct myself from yesterday, I think I opened by saying it was Tuesday, the 11th of November, and obviously it was not. It was the 15th. But it had been a very long day, a very long day of podcasting. Yesterday's Two-Footed was my sixth of the day, so it was a little bit worn out. But uh, feeling a bit fresher today. Right, we are... Going to talk about the World Cup because what else would we talk about with the World Cup only a few days away? Uh, one thing to correct myself on, another sorry, a second thing to correct myself on from yesterday. I said that the Canadian squad outside of Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David wasn't really much to talk about. Someone reached out to me and gave me the name of Tajan Buchanan, young winger for Club Bruges played for New York Revolution in the MLS, moved to Bruges in 2021. And he says this kid is really talented and might be the second best player in the squad after Alfonso Davies. So I can't verify it. I haven't seen a whole lot of him. I saw a couple of Bruges games. He didn't really stand out to me, but he was coming off the bench. So potentially he's one to keep an eye on as well. Um, thank you for letting me know about him. I, I will I will definitely be keeping an eye on him uh, at this World Cup. Um, bad news for France. Christopher Nkunku is out of the World Cup. He suffered a leg injury in training as a result of a fairly innocuous challenge by Eduardo Camavinga. It's a big blow for France, 
but it's obviously an opportunity for somebody else. Randall Cole Muani has been called up to replace him. It's a little bit of a of an underwhelming call up, I think. For me, he's not a player that moves me. He's talented. And when I watched him for Nantes last season, he was pretty good, but I just don't know how it's not Diaby. I really don't know how Diaby isn't the one you go to here. Like, Nkunku is a 10 who can play as a striker, can play wide, can play in midfield. And he made sense in the squad. When you looked at their squad, he's the only player of his type. Griezmann will probably be the starting 10, but Nkunku was a potential game changer there to come on and offer something a little bit different. Muani offers something a little bit different to the existing strikers in the team, but I mean, you've got Marcus Turam, who's not going to play. You've got Olivier Giroud, who's going to be the first option off the bench. And you've got Kareem Benzema, who's the likely starter. So I just don't know why you'd go with Muani rather than Diaby. You've only got Dembele and Coleman, who are actual wingers. I know Marcus Turam does often play as a wide forward, but he is showing he's a bit more effective, narrower. Diaby would have given you another change of pace winger, someone that can really stretch out defences and win you a game with a bit of individual brilliance. And he's got, like, he's been more involved. He's got eight caps. Muani only has two. He's barely been involved in the, the setup. Both caps obviously came this year, but I just, for me, Diaby was the pick. He's in decent form. He's ludicrously gifted. He's got eight goals in 22 games this season for a bad Leverkusen team. Muani has eight in 23 for an Eintracht Frankfurt team that are, frankly, better than the team that Diaby plays for. I just, for me, it's a, it's a poor choice, but it, it's a very Deschamps choice. I hope the kid does well. I hope he does really well. I hope he scores the winning goal in the final, but I I just think it's an odd choice. Um, BBC have done a 10 greatest players at the in the history of the World Cup. Now, we say history of the World Cup. They haven't dug deep into the history of the World Cup. They've gone back as far, I think, about 1966 is where this began. Now, Pele. Pele would be the player who played in the, in the World Cup the earliest um, in 58. So he'd be the oldest player on this list. But unfortunately, they did Mika Richards and Alan Shearer picking the um, picking the players with Gary Lineker. They both picked Gary Lineker in their top 10. Now, with respect... Gary Lineker is not one of the 10 best players to have played at the World Cup. He he just simply is not. He has a very good record at the World Cup, no doubt. Six goals in 86, four in 1990. A very, very good goal scorer, but absolutely not in the top 10 players to play at the World Cup. And, and it's based on, obviously, performance at the World Cup. He's just not there. They haven't picked any um, current players either, so Messi won't be on this list. Lineker, oh sorry, Richards picked Lineker 10th, Shearer picked him 9th. Johan Cruyff, Richards picked him 6th, Shearer picked him 10th. So Shearer thinks that Gary Lineker was better at World Cups than Johan Cruyff. That is baffling. Richards Richards picked him six with the logic of he has a turn named after him. He has to be special. Now, Shearer's argument is he only played 
in one World Cup, which is fair enough. He did only play in 74, but he did carry that Netherlands team to the final. Bobby Moore is eighth. Richards picked him ninth. Shearer picked him sixth. Richard says, you see the videos and you hear about how great these players were. It's painful. Shearer's logic is sound. He captained England at 22. I've seen footage of him, but to be made captain after his 12th cap at age 22, that shows how, that says how good he must have been. He also won the World Cup. That's fair enough. They both went with Gerard Muller at seven. I don't think there's any doubt there. His goal-scoring record is outrageous. Number six is Franz Beckenbauer. Shearer had him fifth. Richards had him eighth. Uh, Lineker's comment, he was the original sweeper and came out of defence with the ball. He actually wasn't the original sweeper. That's just simply not true. But he's the most well-known sweeper. Um... Next, we've got Zinedine Zidane. Richards had him fifth. Zidane had him, or Shearer had him eighth. Shearer says he's the best player he ever played against. The balance was unbelievable. He was incredible. Uh, Zizou is one of the best players ever. I think, but I think this is a fair spot for him to land at fifth. They've both gone Lothar Mateus fourth. I think that's absolutely fair. Sensational in 86. Sensational in 90 could play any of the three midfielder midfield positions, played at five World Cups, played way, way into his, you know, late 30s, could moved into the sweeper position late in his career. Lothar Mateus absolutely deserves to be on this list. His performances in Italian 90 are probably the most over oh, sorry, the most underrated run any player has had at a World Cup. He's just staggeringly good. Uh, the real Ronaldo is at number three. Richards picked him third. Shearer picked him second. Maradona is second. Richards picked him second. Shearer picked him third. The greatest performance anyone has ever put on at a World Cup is Maradona in 86. Go and have a look at the Argentine team that won the World Cup. There's one world-class player in that team, and it's him. There's other very good players, but no one else who's world-class. You look at every World Cup winning team, there's multiple world-class players, except that one. He was a one-man army in that World Cup, and he probably should be number one. He also single-handedly carried Argentina to the 90 World Cup final just by sheer force of will. They've both gone for Pele first. You can't really argue with it. Um, Pele is a tremendous player and won three World Cups. So, you know, you can't really argue with it. Um, but for me, Maradona should be one. So I'd go Maradona one, Pele two. I think I'd go Zidane. I'd go Lothar three, Zidane four, Ronaldo five. Uh, Cruyff 6 Beckenberg 7 Bobby Moore 8 Gerd Muller 9 and Lineker who shouldn't be on the list uh, 10 and yeah as Guy says the rest should just be random Brazilians made up um, yeah so that is, that's that that's what they're doing uh, the Athletic have decided to launch a phone line that you can ring and talk to football experts. Now, some of the people I can accept as football experts. Maurizio Pochettino, Alan Shearer. Some of these people are fine. Some of the others they're having on, absolutely not experts. Spoofers. <laughs> Spoofers, but not experts. Opta have done World Cup predictions. And they make Brazil the favourites. 15.8% uh, likelihood of Brazil winning the World Cup. Argentina next on 126 Then France on 122 
Spain on 9.1, England on 8.7, Germany 7.8, Netherlands 7.2, Portugal 5.8, Belgium 5.4, Denmark 3.5, Croatia 1.8, Uruguay 1.6, Switzerland 1.1, Senegal 0.9, Mexico 0.9, and then Serbia at 0.8. The disrespect is, is fairly staggering. The disrespect to Serbia is absolutely staggering. Now, it's obviously based on your group and the possible run you'd have to winning it. Um. They've given Wales 0.6% chance of winning it. England are heavy favourites to win their group. USA are second favourites, Wales third and Iran fourth. I think Iran are going to get out of that group with England. I've done my bracket. Um, If you haven't listened to the podcast that we did on Anfield Index predicting the World Cup, go and give that a listen. And uh, myself, Carol Matchett, and Guy Drinkle, we did our brackets, so you can have a listen to that. It's it's likely wrong, you know how I am with predictions, but it was fun. It was fun to do. Um, what I thought I might do now is have a quick look and see if I can predict some of the starting 11s, because I think that some of them are going to be interesting. Uh, so we'll start in Group A. I, I Ecuador, I don't know. Netherlands, I would guess Pasphere in goal, though Bijlo should be the starting goalkeeper. But I'm guessing Pasphere. I'm guessing Timber, Van Dijk, and Aki as the back three with Daily Blind left wing back, Denzel Dumfries right wing back, Frankie De Jong. And Davy Klassen in midfield. Martin Darun would probably be the better pick. Frankie and, and Martin Darun is probably the best they can offer. I don't think Coop Miners will start. And then I would guess it's going to be Gakpo, Memphis, and Stephen Bergwijn as a front three, one behind the other two. No idea with Qatar. Not fully certain what Senegal's would be. England, I'm going to guess Pickford. Now, Walker's injured. So I think he'll come in as a starter once he's fully fit. But I think to begin the tournament, it could be Pickford. White, Stones and Maguire as the back three. With Trippier and Shaw as the wing backs, Walker to come in and replace White once fit. I think he'll start Bellingham and Rice in midfield once Phillips is up to speed. I think Phillips comes in for Bellingham. I think he starts Mount, Kane, and Sterling as a front three. But I do think it's possibly leaves Mount out and brings and puts Bellingham into a more advanced midfield role. Uh, once Phillips is fit. Um, couldn't tell you who Iran will play. I just know that I'm looking forward to watching Tarimi um, and Ousman in attack. That's what I know. I'm looking forward to seeing how they do together uh, against the likes of England because they're very prolific for the national team and a lot will ride on their performances. Um The US, I assume. I assume Matt Turner starts in goal. Serginho Dest and Anthony Robinson as the fullbacks. Are we going Walker Zimmerman and Tim Ream as centre backs? Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa, and Weston McKenney as a three man midfield. Pulisic, Aronson, and Jesus Ferreira 
as a front three with Gio Reyna sort of as a as an impact sub. The Welsh Hennessy will start, I would guess. Mepham, Davies and Roden as the back three. The wingbacks should be Connor Roberts on the right and Nico Williams on the left. Joe Morrill and Joe Morrill and somebody. Joe Allen maybe as a midfield two. I know Joe Allen's not fully fit. He might just go two. He might go Ramsey and Morrill if Alan's not fit and then play Harry Wilson, Brennan Johnson and Gareth Bale as a three. Argentina goalkeeper will be uh, Emmy Martinez right back, probably Juan Foyt left back Tagliafico center backs, assuming fitness Romero and Otamendi. I'm not really sure what he's going to do in midfield. Paredes, DePaul, and maybe Alexis McAllister. And then Di Maria, Messi, and Laturo up front. Don't know what Mexico, don't know what Poland, don't know what Saudi Arabia. Having to breeze what the Aussies are going to do, but I know they're going to get beaten a couple of times. The Danes, Schmeichel in goal. Uh, Joachim Anderson, Simon Kjær and Andreas Christensen as a back three. I'm going to guess he goes Rasmus Christensen right wing back, Joachim Mal left wing back, uh, Delaney and Heusberg as a double pivot and then Eriksson Eriksson and I'm thinking he might go Scov Olsen, but Ericsson and either Scov Olsen or Damsgaard behind probably Martin Braithwaite. For the French, it'll be Lloris. I assume Benji Pavard starts right back. I'm assuming Theo Hernandez or Lucas Hernandez starts left back. I'll go with Lucas because he's the older and he started there in the last World Cup. Um... At centre-back, if Varane is fit, it'll be Varane. And if he's any common sense, he'll, he'll partner him with Ibu Kanate. Midfield, Chuameni, Guendouzi. Yeah, Chuameni and Guendouzi. And then Mbappe, Griezmann. Benzema, I'm missing one. I think Rabio starts in midfield as well, actually. Guendouzi, Chumeni, and Rabio with Mbappe, Griezmann behind Mbappe, and probably Benzema, though it would be better with Giroud. Just because it not obviously he's not a better player than Benzema, but it the team works a bit better. Uh don't know what Tunisia, don't know what Costa Rica. The Germans. Manuel Nara starts in goal. I'm guessing Rudiger and Schlotterbeck as the two centre backs. Um, Tilo Carrere potentially right back with David Rom left back. Midfield Kimmich and probably Ilke Gundigan. Sane left wing. I'm not sure who. I think Nabry probably starts up front. I think Musiala is in the line behind the striker, but I'm, I don't know who the other one in that line will be. He might. No, he probably won't. I wonder could he play? Would he play four three three? 
and play Goretzka in a midfield three with Kimmich and Gundogan. And then go Gnabry with Musiala one side and Sane the other. Don't know about Japan, Spain. And I guess Unai Simon in goal, Aspilicueta right back, Jordi Alba left back, Pau Torres and America Laporte as the centre-backs. Busquets in midfield instead of Rodri, which is just funny. Uh, Koke in midfield instead of Gavi, which is kind of funny as well. And Pedri as the third. And then in attack, I think he goes Ferran Torres, Maratha, and maybe Danny Olmo. Belgium, Courtois in goal. He's playing it back three, isn't he? Alderweireld Vertonghen. Actually, do you know what? I have no idea. Because Roberto Martinez is mental. He's not a good manager. And I don't know what he's going to do. Don't know what Canada will do. Croatia will be old and run really fast and really hard. Uh, Brazil. Alisson, Danilo... Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, and Alexandro, I'm guessing, is the back four. Casemiro and Fred in midfield. Richarlison up front, Rafinha, Neymar, and Vinicius behind. I think that's the 4-2-3-1. Don't know about Cameroon. I'm not entirely sure about Serbia. Rajkovic should be the goalkeeper. Milinkovic and Pavlovic is probably the best centre-back pairing. But Veljkovic is good as well. It's hard to know. Will they go back three? They might. They'll be tough. They'll be tough to pick. I'd have to wait and see. I'd have to wait and see with them. Uh, the Swiss, who cares? Um... <laughs> No disrespect, but uh, Harris Seferovic is still not. Oh, gee, Harris Seferovic, Jesus Christ. He will have one game where he looks like the best striker in the world at this World Cup. We know that. Um, I don't know what Ghana's defence is going to be. The midfield will obviously be built around Partey, but don't know what the defence is going to be. For Portugal, I would guess Rui Patricio starts in goal. I think he'll probably start Rafael Guerrero as the left back, Canseo as the right back, Diaz and probably Pepe, who's nearly 40. As midfield, he probably goes Joao Polina and Neves for control. And then Bruno Fernandes is a 10 with. Liao left wing and Bernardo Silva right wing and the show pony up front. Don't know about South Korea. Uruguay. Um, Muslera will be in goal. Jimenez will be one centre-back. I'm guessing Godin starts as the other because Arreo's not fully fit. Left back, it will be, I guess... Matthias Vigne, but it could easily be Matthias Oliveira. Um, right back is a bit of a question mark for them. There isn't an obvious pick at right back for them. Martin Caceres, for a long time, kind of locked down uh, the right back position. I don't expect him to start, but Jose Luis Rodriguez has zero caps, and he's kind of the other option there outside of former uh, Manchester United legend uh, Guillermo Varela so maybe it'll be Varela who starts just given he's got a little bit more experience than Rodriguez midfield I assume Vicinho starts I assume Bentancur starts I assume Diarosqueta starts one wing and Valverde starts the other. Valverde right, Diarosqueta left. It won't be a, it won't be a flat four anyway. It'll be a diamond or a box probably. 
Um, and then up front, it'll be Suarez and Darwin, I guess. I don't think he'll start any of the natural wingers. And that's it. There we go. There we go. Um, player representation by league system. So there's 163 players from England at this World Cup. 29 of them playing in the English lower leagues. 86 players currently playing in Spain with only three from the lower leagues. 81 from Germany with three from the lower leagues. 70 from Italy with three from the lower leagues. 58 from France with two from the lower leagues. 35 from Saudi Arabia with two from the lower leagues. 35 from America, no one from the lower leagues. Um, 33 from Qatar, no one from the lower leagues. 24 from Belgium, one from the lower leagues. 23 from Mexico, 19 from the Netherlands, 19 from Portugal, 19 from Turkey, and 17 from Costa Rica, and none of those have players uh, from the lower leagues their country picked for any of the national teams. The oldest player named is Atiba Hutchinson. The youngest player named is Yusufa Mikoko. Uh, these are outfield players. The oldest goalkeeper is Alfredo Talavera, who's the Mexican backup. The youngest goalkeeper named is called Simon. And I'm not going to try his surname, but he is uh, from Cameroon. Oldest captain is Hutchinson, obviously. Youngest captain is Harry Kane, who's almost 30. So that's strange. Oldest coach is Louis van Gaal at 71. Youngest coach is Lionel uh, Scaloni, who is the... Scaloni, rather, Scaloni, who is the Argentine coach. Uh, player representation by club. We've got Bayern Munich with 17. Manchester City and Barcelona with 16. Al Saad and Qatar with 15. Manchester United with 14. Real Madrid with 13. Chelsea and Al Halil with 12. Tottenham, PSG, Dortmund, Juve, Ajax and Atleti with 11. And then Arsenal and Sevilla with 10. The average age of the squads. Ghana, 24. Ecuador, Spain and the United States, 25. Cameroon, Canada, England, France, Germany, Morocco, Netherlands, Portugal, Qatar, Senegal, Serbia and Wales, 26. Argentina, Australia, Belgium, Brazil, Costa Rica, Croatia, Denmark, Japan, Poland, Saudi Arabia, South Korea, Switzerland, Tunisia and Uruguay, 28. And then Mexico, sorry, 27 for those other countries. And then 28 is Iran and Mexico. Um, coaches represented by country. Argentina have three. They have uh, Gustavo Alfaro of Ecuador and Gerardo Martino, Martino of Mexico as, long, as well as their own coach. Uh, England have two. John Herdman, who's coaching the Canadian team and Southgate, obviously. Portugal and Spain also have three. France have two. And then everybody else just has one. So Carlos Quiros um, and of Iran and Paulo Bento of South Korea, as well as Fernando Santos of, of the Portuguese. Luis Enrique, obviously. Roberto Martinez of Belgium and Felix Sanchez of Qatar. The second Frenchman outside of Deschamps is Herve Renard of Saudi Arabia. Um, there is one Colombian coach. He is Luis Fernando Suarez. He is coaching Costa Rica. Everyone else is pretty much just represented by their own country. Uh, so that's all the World Cup rambling I can do. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, the UK and Ireland are putting in a proposal to host Euro 2028. So we'll chat about that in a sec. See you then.
Right, welcome back. So, if you remember back in March, talked about the bidding process for Euro 2028. The deadline was March 23rd and three countries put in bids to host Euro 2028. Russia bid for it. Uh, their bid was disqualified and they've been told they cannot bid for 2028 or 2032. Turkey have bid for it. And England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales and the Republic of Ireland have all bid. 14 stadiums have been shortlisted to be part of England, Ireland, etc., etc.'s bid. Um, Casement Park in Northern Ireland is their representation. Now, I'm all for Belfast having games. The only issue I would have is that Casement Park is quite small and quite run down. It holds about 31,500 people, most of which is standing. Now, there is a big proposal in for a significant redevelopment, including raising the capacity to almost 35,000. And I assume making it all cedar and building some stands as opposed to just having terraces. So that would be great. If if possible, it would be great to have Belfast involved. Uh, the Republic of Ireland have put forward two stadiums. Our national football and rugby stadium, which is the Aviva Stadium. Um, which is, it's a fairly nice stadium, it must be said. Uh, it holds a capacity of... 51,700, which isn't bad. And then we've put forward Croke Park as well. Now, Croke Park is our national GAA stadium. Uh, it holds 82,300. It is an incredible place to go and watch a game. The only issue with it is one of the ends remains a terrace. And It'd be really nice if they could find a way to... It's like a horseshoe with a terrace at the end. It'd be really nice if they could find a way to complete it. It would mean building over railway tracks, so it would be quite uh, quite difficult. But it can be done. It has been done in other places. You could sink the tracks, maybe, underneath. Um, it can definitely be done, and I really hope it is done. Because it's the one area that just... It just doesn't quite it doesn't quite give it the same it lets the atmosphere out in some ways otherwise the atmosphere is phenomenal they can just fix the Nally Nally stand and the Hill 16 Terrace even if they're going to if they make it like safe standing and just complete the thing it just it would look much better um English stadiums then. So a few notable ones have been left off. Anfield has been left off. Stamford Bridge has been left off. Stamford Bridge is not a surprise. Um, it's a smaller stadium, obviously. I think it holds 42,000 maybe. Yeah, about 42,000. But Anfield will hold 60,000 once the... Anfield Road extension is done. And by 2028, they could have increased the stadium even further. Anfield can't be used for FIFA UEFA stuff because Liverpool banned the Sun newspaper. That is very, very true. That I that had completely slipped my mind. That's a great shout, guy. That's a great shout. That's probably the reason they're not involved. Um I do think the Emirates should have been on the shortlist. It is a really nice stadium. Now, it has gotten a little bit dated. It is 16 years old now. But it is a really nice stadium. It's obviously a copycat of the of Benfica Stadium. Slightly smaller version. But it's a really nice stadium. Goodison Park, which I, I assume it would be their new stadium, 
at Bramley Moor, it's been put forward uh, rather than Anfield. So you, the city of Liverpool might get games. And if it is built in time, which it should be, it should be built in time. Um, it should be built by 2024, in truth. Uh, then that would make a lot of sense. There are three London-based stadiums on the list. The Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is a triumph. The London Stadium and Wembley. I think you'd just bin the London Stadium and use Wembley and the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium there. St. James's Park and the Stadium of Light are both on the shortlist. Both of those are in need of a bit of renovation. The Stadium of Light, more just a bit of TLC. St. James's Park is is a little bit outdated. Like it's a little bit run down because Mike Ashley never put any money into it. So you'd like to see them plough a bit of cash into it before they get given the go ahead. Old Trafford, the Etihad, and Villa Park can probably get on board with all of those. Villa Park is to be upgraded over the next couple of years. Old Trafford is in need of of some some quite serious um, work to be done on the roof and different things, but it is a big capacity. And the Etihad, I suppose, is is a nice stadium. It's very quiet there. Um, Hamden Park is the venue chosen in Scotland. The reason for that is you couldn't pick Celtic Park because then you have the Rangers fans crying. Can't really pick Ibrox because then you'd have Celtic fans annoyed because Celtic Park's an ISO stadium. I would suggest that Murrayfield is probably the one they should go with if they're going to pick a second stadium in Scotland because it's a great stadium. If you want a third London stadium, Twickenham is better than the, um, the London stadium. And the Principality Stadium in... Cardiff or the Millennium Stadium as it was known for a long time it was uh, it, it's put forward for Wales so I'm guessing Ireland will get one stadium and I, if they are it'll be the Aviva even though I would rather it be Croke Park Scotland will get one Wales will get one Northern Ireland will get one Scotland should get two Scotland could put forward two Ireland could put forward two Wales only really have one that's big enough. None of the, like, Cardiff Stadium's not big enough. Swansea Stadium's not big enough. They're nice, but they're not big enough. So that'd give us five. Casement would be six. And there should really only be four from England. If it's to be a 10-stadium list and it's to be a joint bid, then the London Stadium, sorry, then the Tottenham Stadium... Wembley Bramley Moor if it's done in time is it going to be big enough though Old Trafford should be upgraded by then so let's say Old Trafford for that area and then do you go with Villa Park or a potentially rebuilt St. James's I would suggest St. James's Because then you can group teams a little bit easier up there. St. James's would be the best one. St. James's, Old Trafford, the Tottenham Stadium, and Wembley. They're your four English stadiums that you should go with. The two in Ireland, two in Scotland. Just throw Murrayfield in. The Principality, Casement. I think that would be perfect. Um, so the other bit is Turkey. So let's have a look and see what stadiums we are working with. There's obviously a couple of absolute belt, excuse me, absolute belters there. Uh, let's see. We know a couple of the stadiums that would definitely be used. Besiktas' stadium would be used, Vodafone Park. 
Um, 43,000 capacity. It's not huge, but it is a very nice stadium. And it's fairly modern. Opened in 2016. Fenerbahce Stadium, which I will not attempt to say, was renovated in 2006. It holds 50,000. It's a really nice stadium. It's really, really tight. It's very, very intimidating. The sound does not escape. They've made sure of that. Galatasaray play in the Neff Stadium, which holds 52,500-ish. Uh, it's fairly modern as well, built in 2011. Again, it's got that really intimidating feel. It's actually, in terms of the stand structure, it's quite similar to the Emirates, but it's got a different type of roof on it, and it actually holds the sound a lot better. Uh, let me just grab up the rest then and see what else we would likely have. So um, the Ataturk would definitely be used. There's, there's no doubt there. It's definitely going to be one on the list. Uh, it's really, really impressive. I would guess that Trabzon Spores Stadium as well, Senol Gomez Stadium, would be on the list. It was built in 2016, so it's fairly modern as well. Capacity of just over 40,000. Uh, Konya Spores, Konya Metropolitan Municipality Stadium, uh, built in 2014. It would definitely be on the list. It's got a capacity of around 42,000. Kaiserspor Stadium, perhaps. It's a smaller one. It's only 33,000, but whenever you watch a game there, it looks really cool. Like, it's the stands are quite steep and it's quite enclosed. Pretty impressive. So, that could be one as well. Istanbul Bashiksir Stadium is too small. Uh, Hatay's new stadium is. Just open. It's 25,000. It might be considered a little bit too small. Antalya Sports Stadium, the Antalya Stadium, uh, is fairly new. 2015. Uh, 33,000-ish. Adana Demispore Stadium, also fairly new. Although built, it looks like an old concrete bowl stadium. But it's one of those kind of membrane skins. Again, it's smaller. It's 34,000 or so. But it's it looks quite nice. Uh, and Gaziantap, what is their stadium like? It was built in 2017, 35,500. They wouldn't have the size that the English, Irish and Scots and Welsh can offer in terms of stadium capacity. It does kind of feel like it'd be really nice for Turkey to get a major international tournament. Like it feels like they'd have a lot to offer. Yeah, I I would definitely wouldn't be against it. I wonder will they just give one to one and one to the other? So the home nations get one, say 2028, and Turkey gets the other in 2032. That seems like a likely path to getting, um, to keeping everybody happy, just to split it up like that. We had any confirmation of. Yes, the Turkey have also bid for it. Um, the Italians have also hinted that they would like to build to to bid for twenty thirty two. I think you just give Turkey one and the UK the other, and tell the Italians, look, you can have twenty thirty six. Because Italy needs 
a lot of new work. Oh, it does. The Italy won us. Oh, is that was that? Am I right in thinking there was a, to be a World Cup Italy Saudi Arabia bid or something? Was that? Did I imagine that or was that a real thing? Twenty thirty. Yeah, I think they were going to pay for the rejuvenation and stuff like that. Yeah, here we go. Uh, there was an Egypt, Greece, Saudi Arabia bid. Yeah, so it was the twenty thirty World Cup. Actually, hang on, twenty twenty six World Cup. We know that's that's going to be Canada, Mexico, and the USA. So, twenty thirty, Morocco with either Tunisia and Algeria or Spain and Portugal. That could be interesting with Spain and Portugal kind of cross-continental. Um, the Union of North African Football Federations have suggested that they'd be interested. Egypt says it will be ready to host the World Cup. I really don't know that you would be. Um, Spain, Portugal, Ukraine, which is absolutely nonsensical absolutely nonsensical and cannot be allowed to happen it is very much trying to play on emotions and stuff that can't happen that's that's a stupid idea um the president of ecuador has said that they would like to bid for that world cup alongside colombia and peru that could be interesting i'd imagine the i'd imagine that would be quite tough on some of the players though up at that sort of elevation uh, Asian bids. So, because of Qatar 2022, Asian countries can't bid until 2034. Okay. Uh, an Israeli-led bid. Well, this definitely isn't happening. So, you've got Morocco with a potential few. There's also from... From South, from South America, Uruguay, Argentina, Paraguay, and Chile. That could be fun. That could be a lot of fun. Really don't like the idea of Spain, Portugal, and Ukraine. Spain, Portugal, and Morocco, I can get on board with. Spain, Portugal, and Ukraine, no. Uh, Egypt, Greece, and Saudi Arabia, that just needs to be shot down straight away. That's just an absolute just ridiculous idea. And... <laughs> South Korea in association with either North Korea, that'll go well, Japan, China, or all three. That's an expressed interest, but they can't bid until uh, 2034. China have shown interest. Australia and Indonesia. Would it not be easier if it was Australia and New Zealand? Um, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Kazakhstan. Israel, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain. Well, no. Well, you know, I suppose, yeah, that could happen. But I I, I doubt it. Because I, that would have to be another summer world, or another winter world cup, and we're not going to get one of them. Uh, Australia, New Zealand. The Euro 2028 bid from England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. That was meant to be a world cup bid originally, but they changed their mind. And then Romania, Greece, Bulgaria, and Serbia have abandoned the idea of bidding in 2030. Uh, what have we got for 2034? Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam. China. Australia with either Indonesia or New Zealand. Zimbabwe with Botswana, Mozambique, South Africa, and Zambia. Egypt, Nigeria. Um, my guess is if we're going to have another African World Cup, it's going to be either it's going to have to be multiple countries because we see with the AFCON, there's just not the infrastructure to hold it. So for a World Cup, that's not going to work. And you're going to end up with a bunch of stadiums that are just never going to be used properly again, like to fill them. So, and yeah, it would seem likely that it would be the North African countries who get the next one. And then maybe after that, you know, whatever, 2040-odd, they do another one. But again, I think it'll have to be a multi-country bid. I don't think we'll see another single-country uh, World Cup bid. The problem is they've expanded the World Cup to 48 teams as of 
the next one, isn't it? 2026. Yeah. So 32 teams in this one, 48 at the next one. It's far too many. So you need 16 venues. It's just, it's not really feasible for one country to do that. UK could probably pull it off. The UK and Ireland could do it, but they just don't want to commit to it. Um, right, last bits. Gary Cahill has retired. So just days, the, the day after uh, Aaron Lennon, Gary Cahill had retired. I actually thought Gary Cahill had retired in the summer. Um, but he has announced his retirement. I've achieved things I once dreamt of, creating some incredible memories. Football is a game that gave me so much enjoyment and success, and as I make the decision to hang up my boots, I can honestly say I gave it everything I had. He has been a free agent since being released by Bournemouth at the end of the season. Amazing highs like winning the Champions League and the Premier League, the privilege of captaining my country in Chelsea in an FA Cup winning team will forever remain with me. Taking the decision to stop playing is not an easy one. I've spent 20 years training every day, putting in the work, to be in the best possible shape for match day and to help the teams I've played for be successful. I've had time to consider my options and after much deliberation and reflection, I feel it's now time to move on to the next stage of my career. He is 36. He'll be 37 next month. Came through the Aston Villa Academy, uh, broke into the Villa first team, had loans at, Bur at Burnley and Sheffield United. Never quite established himself at Villa, so left and went to Bolton. Had four years there. Moved on to Chelsea, had seven years at Chelsea. Then he had two seasons at Crystal Palace and played his last year with Bournemouth in the Championship. He won 61 England caps. In terms of honours, two league titles, one under Mourinho, one under Conte, two FA Cups, and he was a runner-up in another FA Cup final. Won a League Cup, won a Champions League, won two Europa Leagues and um, was a runner-up in the World Club Cup. Made the PFA Team of the Year three times and was Bolton Wanderers Player of the Season in 2009. Carried John Terry through the last year or two of Terry's career, if we're being fair. Vital to Conte on the left of that back three. Um, despite the fact he was 31-32 at that point and been asked to cover a lot more ground he had previously scored five goals for England, uh, scored away to Bulgaria in a Euro 2012 qualifier, scored at home against the Netherlands, Peru and Nigeria in friendlies, and at home against Scotland in a World Cup qualifier. Fair play. Fair play. 25 when he got his first cap and went on to win 61, played his last game for England at 33. Fair play. A great career. Definitely overachieved uh, through his career. Came very close to playing for Ireland as well before declaring himself for the UK. Um, enjoy whatever it is you do next. John Carew, former Aston Villa player, has been given a jail sentence for tax evasion. Former Aston Villa striker John Carew has been sentenced to 14 months in prison after pleading guilty to charges of tax evasion in his native Norway. The 43-year-old admitted failing to report taxable income and assets of around 26.7 million between 2014 and 2019. Carew said he thought he did not need to pay tax there as he lived abroad, but prosecutors provided evidence showing he was in Norway more than 183 days a year during that time, which made him eligible to pay tax in addition to the jail sentence, he was ordered to pay a fine of four, four, uh, sorry, 46000 Carew told the court he'd been following the advice of a former agent. The court has concluded that he acted with gross negligence but not intent. We've argued all along, and Mr. Carew has made it clear he wants to set things straight. His lawyer said he will read through the ruling in detail before deciding whether to appeal. Uh, he retired in 2012. You retired early. If he's 43 now, that means he retired, retired at 33. Made nearly 500 appearances for nine clubs, including Valencia, Roma, Leon, Stoke and West Ham, as well as, obviously, Aston Villa. 
And he was capped 91 times for Norway, scoring 24 goals. If he had income and assets of 26.7 million in the years after retiring, he's obviously done very, very well for himself. And uh, the 14 months in prison, uh, compared to what the tax would be, might be it might be a decent enough payoff. Who else did he pay, play for? Um, Valerenga, Rosenberg, then Valencia, Roma, Besiktas, Leon, Aston Villa, Stoke, West Ham. He finished at West Ham. I remember seeing him at Valencia and he was just so unusual because he was so tall and he was rapid. Yeah. Oh, well, enjoy prison. Um, on the on the non, you know, we, obviously certain players do things and it's not funny to joke that they're in prison FC, but it is funny to say that he's in prison FC, I think. So they get a new striker. Uh, let's see now. We'll do the gossip and we're done. Manchester United are planning to... This is, this is brilliant. Manchester United are planning to replace Cristiano Ronaldo with Kylian Mbappe. Are they? Are they really? United boss Eric Ten Hag said Ronaldo should not play for United again following his interview with Piers Morgan. Well, you're the manager. You make that decision. You're the guy who made him captain after he walked out on you. So, you know, you've no one to blame only yourself. MLS side into Miami, part owned by David Beckham, have also held talks about signing Ronaldo. He can't go to America. There are people there that want to see him. Manchester United target, target Benjamin Pavard says you'd be open to joining open to joining AC Milan, despite being heavily linked with the Red Devils. He'd be good for Milan, actually. He'd be very good for Milan. Uh, Manchester United, Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, Arsenal and Manchester City are all interested in signing Milan Skriniar. I have a feeling he's going to PSG. Everton have no plans to sack Frank Lampard and intend to give him time to turn their season around. Wayne Vesey, I hope that for the first time ever you are right on this. I really do. Belgium forward Eden Hazard says he could leave Real Madrid at the end of the season despite having another year left of his contract. He should probably just retire, to be fair. Napoli sporting director Cristiano Guentolo, Guent, so Christi, we're just going to call him Cristiano, says Kim Min Jae has a release clause in his contract that is valid for 15 days in July. The 26-year-old South Korean has been linked with Manchester United. Offer him a new contract with more money and get that buyout out of, out of his deal. Barcelona president Joan Laporte says the Spanish Giants will not be able to sign players in January as things stand because they pulled all the economic levers. Leicester, Everton and Brighton are all interested in signing Lens and France goalkeeper Bryce Samba. Why? He's not good. It's also a bit of a stretch to call him France goalkeeper. He was called up once for the French under-19s and never again. And he didn't even play. If he had any common sense, he'd just declare to play for the Republic of Congo. Just absolutely no. No, no, no. No, no. Can't be having him at all. I know they're doing well. I understand Lens are doing well. But he's just not good. He just isn't good. And you will soon see that he isn't good. Manchester City could make a move for Tony Cruz. Uh, he's basically said he's going to retire if he doesn't renew with Real Madrid. So that's garbage. Fabio Carvalho has quit the Portuguese under-21s by text message. I don't understand what he's doing. West Ham have told David Moyes' his job is safe for now after his side lost their ninth game of the season. It is 90minute.com, so I wouldn't put any any um, credence to this story. And last but not least, well, maybe least, Brighton are interested in Shakhtar Donetsk and 
Ukraine defender Mykolo Matvienko, who is a good player, actually. He was strongly linked to the move to the Premier League a couple of years ago. Um, 26 now. Could play centre-back, left-back. He's a good player. Yeah, he'd do well in the Premier League. He's, he's got the physicality to cope. Right, that's me for the day, folks. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.